Welcome to Manly Movies, where guys get together to shoot the breeze and talk about our favorite movies and the lessons they teach us about being a man. Just a quick intro. As always, I'm JB. I'm a husband, a father of two, a son, and a brother. I'm not an expert on any of those things, but I do the best that I can. I have a passion for film and a passion for discipleship. So why not mix the two? Movies can teach us a lot about life, and that's what I want to dive into. So let's get started. Joining me today is my friend Jeremy Holly. Jeremy, what's going on, buddy? Oh, it's a good night. It's been a busy week, and uh, thanks for bearing with me on, on trying to schedule this thing. Oh, man, I, I totally understand. Uh, it, it's, it, we're both dads. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so things happen. I get it 100%. Uh, and I was running late tonight because my wife and I were watching uh, Grey's Anatomy. And <laughs> you got, you got, you got to do the husband thing. So, yeah. uh, um, but real quick before we start talking about the movie, what, why don't you just let us know what you've been watching recently? Well, uh, movies or TV, either one. I think I guess the most recent movie I watched was Death on the Nile. I turned that on the other night. Uh, mysteries like that are, are one of the things that my wife and I do like to watch together. Um, and I I hadn't seen that one yet. I, I did enjoy Murder in the Orient Express. And uh, I like this one, too. Mostly, though, I'm not really familiar with the original play. But it, it kind of kept me on the edge of my seat because I wondered... Uh, just who was going to get murdered and when, because I know, knew nothing about the plot going into it. But Kenneth gotcha. Branagh does a really great job. I enjoy his portrayal of Poirot. Is that how you pronounce it? I'm not sure. I can't remember. <laughs> I was actually going to ask you which one you watched. So you watched the, the new one. With the yeah. yeah. Um, I actually watched both of those back to back at the end of last month because I saw that the old one, the 1978 version was on the Criterion channel and it was going to be leaving at the end of last month. So I watched the Brannock version and then I watched the 1978 version. And I like the Brannock version a lot more. Yeah. Um, have you seen the 78 version? I have not. Okay. I mean, it's Brannock's is just better in my opinion. Like it, to me, it's more stylish and I love, love, love Brannock's portrayal of that. Like you said, He's just a really very talented actor and director. Um, my favorite movie last year was Belfast. Have mm-hmm. you seen that? I have not. Oh, man. <laughs> it's so good. It's, it's right. so good. I'm going to add you, movies to my list. Yeah. like For for someone with the family, it, it, it definitely hit home with me. I mean, you know, I'm not from Ireland, but that's the, it's, it, takes, it takes place in Belfast, Ireland, but it's it's semi-autobiographical, but it's basically his kind of like what he went through growing up. Um, but yeah, it's good. De- definitely check that one out. Okay. Um, as far as recently, uh, man, I've been doing a lot of rewatches, but I'll say this: I've I've watched a few uh, Charlie Chaplin nineteen eighteen and nineteen nineteen movies, A Dog's Life, Shoulder Arms. Sunnyside and A Day's Pleasure. Highly recommend all of those. Mainly A Dog's Life and Shoulder Arms. Though. Shoulder Arms was like it's a World War One film, and but it's a comedy, so it's right. I mean, it's, it's Chaplin, right? So like it's <laughs> I, I think it's something that they probably 
frowned upon him doing that back then. But I look at it now, and it's just like it's it's so perfect the way the way it is. I just I, I loved every minute of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's thirty minutes. I mean, it's not you can watch that pretty easily. Um, but a new movie that I do want to highly recommend is The Survivor, which is uh, Barry Levinson's new movie on HBO Max, featuring Ben Foster. As a boxer. Okay. And it's just basically his life. And he was a, a prisoner in a concentration camp. And one of the guards figured out that he could box because he was, he basically fought off a guard. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to kill you, but um, I'm going to take you under my wing and you're going to fight for me. So he's basically like is helping this Nazi guy, you know, win money. And, you know, but he's also a slave, basically. So, okay. And now he's like a, he's a boxer in America and people were hating on him because he was basically, you know, betrayed his people. So it's, it's just, it's really, really good. I, I really enjoyed it. So that's the one recent one that I, that I would highly recommend for, for, for sure. Cool. But, uh, sorry, were you going to say something? Oh, no. I, I, well, this might be a little, it's not a movie, but uh, occasionally I do I do watch some anime, and uh, I, so I've been hearing a lot about this new series that's on the season called Spy X Family, and I've watched three episodes of that. The interesting thing about it is that it kind of has a, a sixty a kind of a sixties aesthetic a little, but the the premise of the show is there is a guy who's a spy and he's given a mission where he has to get close to this official using a kid as a cover to get her into this prestigious school to get close to someone. And so he, he goes and adopts this kid. Uh, she's probably about five or six, but uh, the thing is she knows he's a spy because she is, uh, has, I guess, some kind of telepathic ability. <laughs> And through just a series of events, you know, he has to, in order to fake this family, he also has to find a wife, and the wife is an assassin. He doesn't know that she's an assassin, but the little girl does because, you know, she can read her mind as well. And because she's six, she thinks that both of those things are cool, although she gets a little scared about it. But that's kind of where the comedy comes in, because neither... The parent, the the parents, quote unquote, know that the other is a spy, and so I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. It, it's got, uh, it's mostly played for com- comedy elements. It's got some action in there as well, but uh, I've enjoyed it so far. What's it called again? Spy X Family. I, I don't spy. know. I don't know if that's spy how you pronounce family. it, but uh, okay. Yeah, I'll I'll have to check that out. I'm not a huge anime guy, but I do try to watch some. I, I I lean more towards the sci-fi anime right. anime over like I don't I don't really I don't really care for fantasy anyway. So I mean I don't I'm not a Lord of the Rings guy. I know I know that's like <laughs> blasphemy. I get that, but <laughs> um, the only really the only fantasy I like would be like Star Wars and some of your more non-traditional fantasy like It's a yeah. Wonderful Life and Field of Dreams. You know that's that that's my go-to for fantasy. So. 
you know, with most anime, the, the classics that people love, like uh, the Studio Ghibli uh, yeah. movies, that's mostly fantasy. And, I, and there are, some of them are okay, but I really love Your Name yeah. and uh, Ghost in the Shell. And both of those are sci-fi. So the one that you just described kind of sound like it would be more in my wheelhouse, I would think. Yeah. I'll have to take a look at that. But um, speaking of the unknown and <laughs> sci-fi, the movie that we are talking about today is M. Night Shyamalan's 2002 movie, Signs, with Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix and the young Abigail Breslin mm-hmm. and one of the Culkin brothers. I can't remember which one. Rory. <laughs> Rory. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, first of all, what what made you choose this movie? When did you first see it? And, you know, just kind of a brief history of, of you and this film. Well, uh, this just kind of came out at the right time for me. I, I'm, I think I'm probably a little older than you, um, but I was recently out of college uh, by, you know, at the time this came out and uh, went to go see it in the movie theater with a friend of mine. Uh, I have a story about that later. That's kind of funny. But uh, I had seen The Sixth Sense when I was in college. Loved that, you know, and I, I love, you know, at that time, uh, Shyamalan was riding pretty high on, on a success from that movie. Saw Unbreakable like that as well. Um, so I, I was anticipating this one coming out just because of the theme of faith, you know, in the movie. That's why I, it, something about it just really resonated with me. You know, uh, my, my faith in Christianity is pretty important to me. And uh, just uh, something about the message of that movie, the faith and the restoration of, of uh, the main character's faith is really just what I enjoyed about it. Yeah, for sure. And and how his faith was kind of a driving force for his brother, too. Right. And, and to see him lose his faith, that takes a toll on, on, on his brother, too. I mean, and so it's just it's a it's a cool family dynamic. And yeah, I, I actually I watched The Sixth Sense, I guess, right after it came out. I think we had rented it and watched it on VHS back in the day. And um, me and my family, and I, and I remember, see, I was 14 when it came out. I remember watching it, and I remember a lot about it, but I I guess re-watching it as an adult, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I, it, it makes more sense then now, because I just watched it again for the for the first time since, you know, I was 14, like just like two, two years ago, I think. And, yeah, I definitely understand it a lot more. But then I watched Signs. You know, it came out in 2002, and I probably watched it my, my, with my brothers right after, a little bit after it came out. And I thought it was just, you know, a cool alien movie about, you know, about faith and family. And, and then I watched it again last year mm-hmm. for, the, for the first time since then, and I was completely blown away. And then I watched it again this past <laughs> week, and, and I was like, it has solidified itself as one of my all-time favorites. So I was I was super excited that you picked this. It's easily hands down my favorite M Night Shyamalan movie. That dude peaked in two thousand and two. I mean, The Village was pretty good, right? Um, but that came out a couple of years later, and I really like Split. 
I mean, that was 2016. But everything else, <laughs> everything else since the village has been. Ooh. Yeah, he kind of lost me with Lady in the Water. That was uh, where I walked see, away. I, see, I haven't seen it. Like that's the thing. Like I, most of the stuff is really, really bad. Like Lady in the Water, Last Airbender, and After Earth. I haven't watched because I've heard too many bad things about. Uh, I watched The Happening, and I watched Old. Oh my gosh, Old was horrible. Yeah. Jeez. So yeah, uh, 2002, and I like Mel Gibson. You know, growing up, I, I watched the Lethal Weapon series and yeah. the, the Patriot and Braveheart. I was a big Mel Gibson fan growing me up. Too. So that was what really kind of roped me in on this one. It was actually one of the, you know, obviously that and The Sixth Sense were the first kind of movies that were just this thriller that had this huge twist for me anyway, because I didn't really watch a whole lot of that stuff growing up, but. I, I was excited to um, get to talk about this. So, yeah, it's funny you should mention that about the Patriot because this this movie and the Patriot occupy the same headspace for me in a way. I mean, the themes are very different, but it's Mel Gibson. You know, it's set in two different states, but they both have similar looking farmhouses, and uh, you know, it's all about defending his family. And I love both of those movies. Yeah, and actually, I, I actually, I think I might have saw The Patriot back back then, but I haven't seen it since. So I need to watch it as an adult because I, I've been trying to do that recently is watch stuff that I watched when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And because I, I get so much more out of, like, I, I'm trying to think of, oh, Beetlejuice. I just watched Beetlejuice for the first time since I was, you know, four. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, man. Like, I remember, what's funny is I used to watch that with my with my parents, and I remember every single shot from the beginning to the end. But I had no idea the context of anything, what was going on. But I just, but I knew every like I, everything visually. I remembered. But man, watching it now, I really understand what was going on. So that's crazy. I'm uh, getting sidetracked. But <laughs> so this film, and, I, and I'm going to go ahead and give the spoiler warning. Spoiler warning for anybody listening if you have not seen this movie it is 20 years old please go watch it last i checked it was on amazon prime yeah so yeah it's definitely worth seeing uh at least once without knowing what's gonna happen you know i I think the uh the jump scares alone are kind of worth it yeah for sure but man what a turn of events that happens And the thing that I always remember, even from the very beginning, the first time I saw it was everything happens for a reason. Right. There there are no mistakes. There is no luck. There are no coincidences. And and, and I'm fueled by my faith in this, that, you know, I, I feel like everything that happens is part of God's plan. But even if I wasn't, you have to think that there's got to be some kind of purpose for everything, right? Like, right. it's just, I mean... How awful of a life would it be to not believe or, or to just think that everything happens by sheer chance? Like, that, oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, there is so much going on in this movie. Every time I watch it, I'm not sure I'm smart enough to make all the connections. There's a whole theme with dreams going on. Yeah, you know, uh, Graham has visions going on throughout the movie about his wife as you kind of learn more and more gradually about what happens to her the movie opens up with him gasping and and waking up 
you know, and, and actually I was going to say, I think there, there's a lot of connection in there with breathing because Graham and, uh, you know, he's gasping for air at the beginning. His, his son Morgan is gasping for air at the end. And I think there's some kind of connection there that goes along with Graham's restoration of faith. And maybe the beginning of the movie is, is the, the beginning of God trying to reawaken and bring Graham back. But uh, we can get more to that later. <laughs> but there's several times throughout the dream, Bo, the, the little girl, the daughter, makes reference to uh, being in a dream. And the first thing she says to Graham when he walks up to her is like, are, are you in my dream too? Or, or something to that effect. And she also says that she dreamed that Morgan died. So there's there's some something I, I'm picking up on that I, I don't know that I have all the connective tissue for. And just that she seems to be the more touchy-feely, spiritual like core Morgan seems to be the reason, you know, that the kid that represents reason, you know, and he's the one that's going back and forth with Graham throughout the movie. And they're almost arguing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, like when, whenever he walks in and they're wearing the, uh, the tinfoil hats, yeah. <laughs> that scene is just, and what's great about it is he doesn't believe in this stuff, but as a dad, knowing that those two kids are really serious about this and they're really freaking out about it. And, and so they're like trying to study up on it and figure out what's going on. He sits down next to him and, and reads with them, even though he doesn't believe a single word of it. That's a dad moment, man. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, you got to meet, meet your kids where that, where they are, even, even if you don't quite understand it. Right. And Graham, he's interesting because you can tell through the movie, he loves, he really cares about his children. But he's also, it's like he's walking around with this great open wound because of, of his wife dying. And it, it's kind of like he's almost not a complete person. I, well, a complete person, but he's, he's almost just going through the motions at the beginning. You know, it's like he, he, he can't always seem to emote what he's thinking. And yeah. his children, and I think that's a theme throughout the movie, the children and Meryl, to an extent, they want him to be that supportive figure that he used to be, but he doesn't have that ability within himself to do it because he's holding on to his grief or anger or something, you know. Yeah. And you know, one thing you, you mentioned Meryl early in the movie, whenever Meryl was, uh, I think the, the cop, what's her name, Officer uh, Paskey, Cherry Jones, yeah, yeah, pa uh, yeah, yeah. Officer Paskey. Carolyn. Uh, yeah, yeah. She she says, you know, it's really nice of you to move in after after she died to to help out. And Meryl says, I don't think I'm helping that much. And she just looked at him and says, you are. And that hit me, man, because, you know, sometimes just being there is what our kids need the most. You know, and that's not their father. That's their uncle. But you know, they needed that. They, they yeah. needed someone to be there because their father was going through some issues and they need somebody to be a, a rock for them because their dad couldn't be it. I mean, even though you like you said, he really cares about his children and he tries to be that guy, but he's just very, very vulnerable and holding on to a lot of stuff. And so, so for us, even if it seems like we're not doing anything to help our kids, we are just by being there. Yeah. We don't have to do anything to help them. To know that someone is there is, is enough sometimes, you know? Right. 
Yeah, I know, I know at some there's some point in the movie where Morgan tells Meryl that you know he wishes Meryl was his dad, and it's it's after Meryl says something to them, you know, and it might even be a lie, <laughs> technically, because Meryl's kind of out of control throughout some of the movie and very scared, but he tells them he never let anything happen to the kids. That was what the yep. kids needed to hear. Mm-hmm. And that's when they, they told him that, yeah, I wish you were my dad. Yeah. Now, Meryl, Meryl kind of reprimanded him for that, but. Yeah. <laughs> so what'd you say? Would you ever say anything like that again? Ever. Yeah. Hey, get him, Meryl. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I love Joaquin Phoenix's character in this movie. He does such a great job. Yes. Uh, it's top three Joaquin Phoenix for me. Uh, it's this and uh, Johnny Cash and Joker. Hands down, my three favorite characters that he's done. So what were some, some manly moments that stuck out to you on this movie? Well, the the biggest one, the one that really gets to me every time is the attack at the end where the, you know, they're trapped inside the house. It's, it's like Night of the Living Dead or The Birds or, you know, some other movies. But he, this is kind of when Graham's beginning to make a turnaround he connects with the children by telling them you know, the stories about when they were born. And this is what they needed to hear all along. They just wanted to hear him talk about their mother. And I think throughout the movie, Graham, he's just so pained that he avoids the subject. He, he doesn't really want to deal with it. You know, that's indicated through his refusal to let uh, uh, Ray Reddy, the, the driver who kill the mom he doesn't even he's the vet in town but he doesn't even want them to come look at their dogs you know he says something about the doctor and i think somebody says well that's that's not a vet he was like well he'll do he'll know what to do but anyway the the story about um bo when he was born when she was born and then morgan uh that brings me to tears every time just that whole scene in the house the last supper scene where they're they all make that that meal Mm. the meals everybody chooses a favorite meal you almost want to laugh at that when, when they're talking about like what they want. He's like, now you're talking, you know, but in some sense you kind of feel like at that point, Graham's thinking they're, they're probably not going to make it through the night. You know, um, there's some, I, I'm sorry if I'm talking too much and I'm disjointed, but there's just so much raw emotion in that, that whole sequence where they want to, like Morgan says, we've got to pray. And then Graham says, I don't, I'm not wasting one more minute of my life on prayer. And that was yeah. one of my one of my manly moments is just that whole connection with Morgan and Graham. Because Morgan then tells, after Graham, um, Graham says that about prayer, Morgan tells him, I hate you. You know, you're the one who let mom die. And that's almost a reflection of, of what Graham says to God later because he's like, don't do this to me again. He says, I, I hate you. You know, not, not something I would recommend saying to God, <laughs> uh, but I think there's a reflection in that just in, in their story together there, like when, when Graham connects with his son at the end and they're breathing, I think the prayer he's talking about believing in, and the air is coming in. And I think it's a reflection of what God is doing through, through Graham as well. You know, believe this will pass. The air is going to come. Absolutely. And I 100% agree that that entire sequence for me is what does it. I, it just, and yeah, it starts with the last meals and that's, it's kind of played off for fun. Kind of like Bo says, I want spaghetti. 
And Morgan's like, you can't have spaghetti. And he said, no, spaghetti sounds like an excellent idea. Morgan, what do you want? French toast and mashed potatoes. Carb, carb, carb. And Meryl's like chicken teriyaki. And of course, Graham probably picks my personal favorite, cheeseburger with bacon, extra bacon. So, like, it's kind of played off for levity, but you know that he's doing this because he thinks it's going to be their last meal. Yeah. Um, so my question is for you, what's your last meal if this were to happen? Oh, man. Um, probably, I would say, uh, lasagna. <laughs> Cavatini, that's uh, it's kind of a lasagna with pepperoni in it. Nice. I, I got to go with Graham's, man. Give me a bacon cheeseburger all day. Extra bacon. I'm, I'm dying anyway. Um, so, yeah. But anyway, but then after that, they, you know, they're boarding up the house. They knew the aliens were coming. And, you know, Graham starts telling each kid a story about, you know, when they were born. And it hits me as a dad. Because even in his fear and in his unbelief and in his doubt, he still is being there for his kid. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's one of the most touching moments in the film. Like it shows a dad who remembers to show love and admiration to their kids, even during times of crisis. I mean, it really could have been easy to freak out or become all business at this point. And a lot of guys would have like, okay, you sit here, you sit here. Listen, we're going to like, he would just been going over the game plan with everybody, but that didn't matter to him at this time. At this point, he's, he, he's, he chooses to be calm and be gentle with his kids and tell them a sweet story about when they were, when they were born, man, that, yeah. <laughs> that, that hits me. And, uh, and that's why this film is so much more than a sci-fi thriller in not Shyamalan twist movie. It's about family. Like it's, it's about faith and family. And those are two things that are seriously lacking in Hollywood right yeah. now. Uh, you don't see stuff like this anymore, especially faith, but you really don't see good family dynamic like this either. Other than, you know, a few here and there, but you know, one thing also, whenever Graham was, uh, trying to calm Morgan down from his asthma attack, you look over and you see Meryl holding Bo and you see his lips moving and his eyes closing. Yeah. And so he's, he starts to pray. he's exactly, he's the one praying. His brother is the pastor, but he's the one praying because his brother has lost faith. But somebody's got to step up and, and be the one to intercede. And it's, it's the younger brother, the young hothead strikeout king minor league baseball player. Yeah. Uh, and so like he was praying, you know, right as his brother, the priest is cursing God, literally saying, I hate you. His brother's over there praying. Yeah. Awesome scene. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome scene. <laughs> Just so cool. Yeah, um, I did. So I, I was doing a little bit of reading up about the movie, and uh, I, I don't know if you've heard this theory. A few years ago, I ran across some articles that you were talking about the, the monsters in the movie, the aliens, and uh, you know, a lot of the criticism around the movie centers around the fact that the the alien, the weakness of the aliens, 
is water, apparently. And and so they they always talk about how, you know, why would an alien race come down and <clears throat> to a, a planet that's, you know, 70% water or whatever it is that seems kind of dumb. And but I wasn't I never thought about this myself, but I started seeing theories that the the nature of the aliens in this movie were that they were actually demons. Mm. And so I found a quote from uh, M. Night Shyamalan from an interview back in 2006. And uh, he said, he was talking about science, and he said, this was a story about a war between heaven and hell. The aliens were demons, and the people's dead loved ones were angels. That's why I have them pray several times in the movie. It was about faith. Hmm. And so, let's see what else. Oh, he said, the characters in the movie called called them aliens but it was never explicitly demonstrated what what they were or why they were on earth people are much more accepting of alien these days and the idea was that if dreams appeared or if demons appeared among us they would be perceived as aliens yeah that's so, interesting like so uh, that, that's actual quote from M. not Shyamalan. yeah yeah wow. i'll send you i'll send you the uh the link to the article wow. afterwards but it is uh so I, I suppose the idea there, you know, one of the theories I had seen was that the aliens were weak to water because it was holy water. You know, it was, it was uh. in a priest's house. Bo was called and referred to as an angel several, at least during Graham's story about her, you know, and she was the one leaving the, the glasses of water all around the house. Mm. And uh, so it seems like at least, you know, whether they were supposed to be aliens or demons or a mixture of both that was intentional imagery wow i had not even thought about that but it totally makes sense and i wondered like because this is really the only film that Shyamalan has done that i i think anyway that has anything to do with faith am i am i wrong there because i can't the village maybe i think might might have been um, Maybe uh, it's been a long time since I've seen The Village, uh, and I haven't seen some of his later stuff or his more recent stuff, which I should. But I think this is the one that I can think of that is explicitly kind of about faith. Yeah. So it just makes me wonder what what uh, M. Not Shyamalan's story is. Well, I do know he, he was, of course, raised in the Hindu tradition, but he went to a Catholic school, and mm. so that's where a lot of his familiarity with the religion. He, he seems in the interviews I've read, he seems to be more of a universalist yeah. sort of guy, but uh, he's that. at least got a, a, a more than passing familiarity with uh, a lot of the imagery. Um, there's a lot of cross imagery in the beginning of the movie. Also the first set of crop circles that you see, there's one of the, I guess shapes looks like almost a pitchfork, you know, it's mm. kind of more evidence for the, possibility of them being kind of a form of demon well yeah i i was i would have guessed he has some kind of history with with catholicism <laughs> because this film it does have a lot of catholic influence so what else man what what, what about what else about this film that well, out to you? i feel you know in general this this whole movie as i i've watched it over the years it kind of it gives me a nostalgic feeling it reminds me of an old twilight zone episode almost like that's been expanded to a feature-length film you you kind of got this rural setting outside of pennsylvania or pittsburgh 
you know, you don't really see that many other people outside the core family in the movie. And, you know, most of those parts are very brief. I think there's probably only maybe like 10 or 11 characters in all that you, that you see of all the townspeople are kind of quirky, hmm. you know, the, like a lot of the interactions with the town people are, are played up for humor, but I willing to bet that, you know, Twilight Zone is probably one of the influences on this movie to begin with. One thing that cracks me up in, in the beginning of the movie, and this is nothing to do with the manly moment or anything, but just whenever they heard what was going on outside and they and they went outside and, and Meryl was like, you need to like scream and act like you're mad and, and like curse at them. He said, you want me to curse? He said, you you don't have to meet it. It just <laughs> so he runs out. And he's like, ah, I'm insane with anger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, and he actually says one at the end. It was like I cursed. I know. I heard. <laughs> I heard. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, you mentioned the townspeople. One thing, Tracy, the clerk, you know, she just feels like. She just needs to give him this confession because she said the word douchebag 37 times last week or something. (laughs) (laughs) um, And what's funny is she was talking about all all this stuff, this, that, and the other. And then he goes, immediately goes away from her and goes right to his family and says, hey, kids, I don't want you to (laughs) spend any time with Tracy Abernathy alone. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Oh, I, I forgot to mention that. So the whole, so M night Shyamalan has a cameo in this movie, right? He, he's mm-hmm. the, uh, the vet that he's the guy that killed the wife. Yeah. 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 And unintentionally, he yeah, apparently yeah. fell asleep at the wheel. But the first time I saw this movie, I knew enough to know what, what, uh, M night Shyamalan looked like. My friend and I were in the theater you know, watching the movie and I, the dialogue in that whole scene where they see him is so odd because they don't tell you who he is at first. They, you know, one of the kids just asks, is that him? And, uh, you see it there. And I was like, are they breaking the fourth wall? Is this going to get really strange? (laughs) You know, because you, you just don't really know what the connection is at first. They, they kind of drip it out, you know, and I'm not even sure that you really figure it out up until the point where he actually confronts Ray at the house. You know, when he gets the call from Ray, if I recall, Ray tells him that he just called uh, Graham in a panic because one of the the monsters showed up at the house and he didn't know who else to call at the time. Mm -hmm. That's another powerful moment of acting by Mel Gibson. Just all the, the mixed emotions that are going through his face when Ray is kind of talking about just how he, he fell asleep at the wheel. And that would have been so painful to hear him saying that I could have fallen asleep at any time and and just probably gone to a ditch and woke up. And he said, I had to fall asleep at that exact moment. And and it was almost like it was meant to be that I I killed your wife. I know if that were me, I'd want to punch the guy. (laughs) But uh, Graham, at that moment, you can tell he's he's got anger. But I, I read some of the expression is, you know, is not as forgiveness. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, the whole movie is kind of a journey for him. He's having to confront all of these things that are just blocking him from moving on and engaging 
with his family and, and just moving on with life and, and engaging with God again. Yeah. I, he, he's, he's such an incredible actor. Uh, and, and that, that moment is, is definitely a testament to that. And it's funny that I'm not Shyamalan. He, he does cameos in like all of his movies, I think. And that's something that Hitchcock used to do. And I feel like it's him kind of trying to be a modern Hitchcock, but it's not. <laughs> Sorry, dude, you're not Hitchcock. Uh, <laughs> but you got, he does have some, he does have a couple of really good movies, but he doesn't have a uh, 50. So, like, yeah. but yeah, that's, I, I, I do like how he does that just to kind of see w- what character he's going to be in the next movie. And man, props to him for wanting to play the bad guy in the, in the movie. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you're talking about, you know, w- whenever he was telling him about, I could have fell asleep here. I could have fell asleep there, but I had to right at the moment that she was walking and you know, talk about everything happens for a reason. Right. Like, right. <laughs> But in a bad way, like that's just like twisting the knife there for Graham that, well, this is the God that I don't believe in. He made this all happen because it all, and it all happened exactly the way it should have, like at the exact right moment, man, that's gotta be rough. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's important for the, the point of the movie because of his, you know, his, the details of his last conversation with her kind of are, are referred to, but you don't really see it until the the final conflict of the movie, you know, where, you know, she's all these things. He said he thought what he thought were just random comments. She was making like when she said, uh, tell Meryl to swing away. She told Graham to see it was when he, he realized that, that, that was his role. His final role is to see all the connected connections and what was going on on around him, and believing and having faith. Graham, you know, Merrill is the one that got the big hero moment when the, you know, he was able to grab the bat. But it was it was Graham that had the the vision and the and gave him the direction. It's like uh, and looked at the the bat, the home run <laughs> bat hanging on the wall. But Meryl got to kind of exercise his demons by taking out the, all that aggression on the uh, the alien. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. It was just that whole scene where, you know, the the theme, the, that triplet theme that's just playing throughout the movie, the music, it, it all of a sudden gets takes this triumphant tone instead of a, a scary tone. And it's, it's just awesome. Yeah. I mean, talk about and that's just not something that you see in a lot of in most thrillers either is it's daunting and it's it's scary and it's it's horror but then the music shifts and it takes a turn and it turns into basically a like you said a triumphant tone it kind of mimics a like a a highlight moment in a sports movie right Right. and and what's funny is he's holding a baseball bat you know like and so it's just it's a really cool moment there but that one scene with him and the bat after he had already took a swing at all the water glasses and, and sprayed him with water. And then he's like hitting, hitting him. And, and you get this one close up of, of Joaquin Phoenix and the bat looking dead at that alien. And he's just rearing back. And it's just, it's a cool, you know, hero moment there for him. Yeah. For him being the brother who thinks he's not helping. Oh, he's helping. He just broke his home run bat. And that hurt me, man, to see that that bat was broken at the end, right? Like, it's yeah. Just, 
because that's his that's his home run record bat that he he broke that record with, and that's in two pieces. And I'm like, oh, poor dude, but he he saved his family, so I guess that's okay that the bat's broken. Yeah, I'm skipping around a lot, but my other favorite scene is, of course, the home or the uh, the newscast scene with the uh, birthday party in the Brazil, where he, he Merrill's watching the newscast. <gasps> uh, yeah, Vamanos, children, Vamanos! <laughs> when I was watching that with my friend in the theater, you know, the, uh, my 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 buddy, he was like this, just this big guy who who works out, really buff. But it, the first time you're watching that movie, it is so intense. He actually, when the alien appears and walked across the screen, he actually stood up in the theater and, and went, ah, oh! <laughs> like a, <laughs> and I will never mention him by name <laughs> in case he ever listens to this. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But that, just that whole first experience of seeing it for the first time it, is great. Yeah. I wish I would have seen this in theater. You know, it's funny. The only, in that Shyamalan movie that I actually watched in theater was The Happening. <laughs> oh. Yeah, what a great one to go to, right? It was fine up until the end. <laughs> <laughs> so one other thing that I remember in the film, I had to write it down because it, it's not really like a, a super deep moment, but it's just something that I can totally relate to. And it was cool because it was kind of in the middle of them. Everybody was freaking out. The son, uh, Morgan, yeah, Morgan, he said he, he needed to record this that was going on. And so he grabs a random tape and Bo, the daughter, was like, no, that's my ballet recital. That's my ballet recital. And he says, this is very important. We've got to record this. And like, he like goes into this whole spill about why they got to record this and how important this is and how this could be you know, the end or whatever. And then she said, but it's my ballet recital. It's my ballet recital. And then he says, dad. And then he just says, find another tape, Morgan. <laughs> That's all he said, because it really doesn't matter if this is their last day on earth and everybody dies after this. He, he still wants to make his daughter happy, right? He still wants her to be happy and, and not be upset and sad because I mean, that's just like a dad putting their kids first. Yeah. And like I said earlier, he could have been freaking out. He could have been all business, but he's still thinking of what's best for his children. And, and what's best for them right now is for that they stay calm, they stay happy, and they don't get too upset and crazy over this. Yeah, so. yeah. I I have a little girl like Bo, and, you know, pro- <laughs> taping over the ballet recital would be an unforgivable sin. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Oh, man. I have a six-year-old daughter, and she likes to watch videos on my phone that I take of her. And, <laughs> yeah. So. Yep. Like, I want to watch. I want to look at pictures, Daddy. Yep. yep <laughs> take yep, a picture, yep. and then we'd spend some time looking at them. <laughs> exactly. Oh, good times. Uh, what else you got from this film, man? Well, I had a quote from C.S. Lewis uh, in his book, A Grief Observed. It, it kind of goes along with Graham and his epiphany at the the end. But he says, you never know how much you really believe anything until it's truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. And that whole book, C.S. Lewis lost his wife, the disease. The and problem with pain? Uh, a, a grief observed. Was, a grief observed. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was this one? I, I feel like I've covered almost everything I, I had. 
I'm sorry, my memories were kind of scattershot. But this movie, I, I get new things uh, every time I see it. Oh, there was one other thing that I, I noticed this time around. The, the whole thing with the baby monitor and then uh, mm. Morgan picking up signals. If you notice, the signal only becomes clear when, whenever the four members of the family are touching each other. Mm. When they're hugging or holding hands together, like the scene on the car, you know, wow. and he's holding up in the air. It's like when they all four touch, that's when the, the alien signals start to come through. And again, in that last scene where they're kind of having that emotional hug after Graham blows up around the dinner table because nobody, he had that argument with Morgan and nobody wants to eat. And they're breaking down. They all hug. And that's when they hear the alien noise come through. I don't know what that means, but I thought it was cool. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. One thing that I did not think about until now, and it's it's funny the way things work out. You had mentioned that when he was praying, quote unquote, but he was basically screaming at God saying, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And you said that, you know, that's not something that I would recommend to anybody. And I get that. But there's also Psalm 88 that's in the Bible. Have you read that? At some point, but I'm not sure what the... Uh... <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. And this has become one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because it's so, so, so relatable. I won't read the whole thing, but it says, Oh, Lord, uh, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you and climb your ear to, for my, to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to shield. I have counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead. It goes on, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do you depart? Do the departed rise up to, to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness to Abaddon? But I, O oh Lord, I cry to you in the morning in prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friends to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And that's where it ends. <laughs> it, it doesn't end in some kind of rosy, but you, God, you, you have restored me. No, no, no. It's all negative. The whole thing. And what's funny is I, like, I've been going through the Psalms again recently. And that's the one that I read today. Oh. And, and, so, and, and every time I read it, it's just I, I, I totally empathize with it. And, and I see this character in, in uh, Mel Gibson's character in this movie. And, yeah, he's telling God that he hates him. He's, he's, he's saying, I hate you. I hate you. Forgive me. But he's still praying. He's still talking to God. Yeah. Like the, the, the thing is, even when we're mad, even when we're at our lowest point, and we think that he has done us wrong, he still wants us to go to him and talk to him about it. Yeah. And even even if we don't cheer up afterwards, even if we don't humble ourselves and say, but, you know, my ways are not your ways or something like that, it's okay if sometimes we don't have anything good to say. 
if, if sometimes we're mad and don't and don't understand why and we're just because he wants us to come to him right so man that's just so powerful to me because i've been there i've been there when i didn't have anything good to say yeah me too Whew. Yeah, that was definitely a breakthrough for Graham in the movie because up to that point, he he was to the point of denying the existence of God. You know, he tells Meryl, like, that was another scene we haven't mentioned that, you know, that a really great scene where he and Meryl are watching the TV and discussing the lights. And, and you know, he gives that speech about there being two types of people, you know, yeah. the ones who, who look at the lights and, and know that somehow somebody's in their corner and everything's going to work out. And the other, the other group looks at the light suspiciously and thinks that things are just random or just luck and that no, they're alone in the universe, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny since the aliens being there would mean they're not alone in the universe. <laughs> yeah. That whole scene there. And I, and I, I thought about that too. He asked him, you know, which kind of person are you? And Meryl was like, well, you know, I was at this party one time and, <laughs> and I was going to lean in to, to get a kiss from this girl, but something happened and I had to, like, I don't remember what he said that made it to where he couldn't. But then when he turned around and looked back up, she had just started throwing up like projectile vomiting. And he said, man, if that hadn't happened, she would have threw up on me. <laughs> I'm a miracle man. <laughs> I'm a miracle man. That's <laughs> like, what a great way to look at it, Meryl. But then he asked him, he says, what kind of, what kind of, which one are you? And he said, do you feel comforted? Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. He said, do you feel comforted? He said, yeah. He said, well, then it doesn't matter what I think. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, he carried resentment because he was the one that everybody looked to for, for comfort and he had no comfort to give, I think. Yeah. Having turmoil. He wasn't comforted himself. So. He, he hated having to be the shoulder for other people to cry on when he didn't have anybody to do that to, you know? Yeah. yeah it is funny how repeatedly throughout the movie he's telling people, please don't call me father. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm in the mood to be a shepherd. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Totally get it. But uh, to go along with what you were saying earlier uh, with, you know, Psalm 88 and, and, the prairie uttered. I, I did write down one verse, you know, Isaiah one eighteen. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white, white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. You know, and I, and I think that goes to your point that whatever condition you're in, you have to go to Jesus to have that that relationship with God because you're never going to go in there not messed up so god god takes people as they are and works worse with that and I, I think he that's the way he wants us to be to be honest as much as i said you know i i wouldn't want to go telling god i hate him i mean I, th- I think of job job was pretty upset he never would have uh said what graham said but yeah. he definitely let know god how he felt uh-huh. for sure i mean you think about it, it's just like any relationship, man. Like if you are mad at someone because of something that they did to you, your wife, for example, would it be better for you to tell them how mad you are about what it is or just to not say anything at all? Well, obviously you need to talk it out, right? Yeah. 
and that's what you're doing when you when you go to God with if you if you're upset with Him about something, you're just having a conversation with Him. Like, and at least you're you actually still believe in Him because you can't hate something that you don't believe. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, good stuff, man. Well, man, what a, what a, what a film. Every time I watch this, I kind of. I'll say every time I watch this, I think I've only watched it three or four times, but I'll go through my letterboxed network and I'll see people giving it like three stars or two and a half stars or whatever. I'm like, do you have a soul at all? Like, come on, dude. <laughs> this film is freaking amazing. I, I can't. I feel sorry for anybody who, who doesn't like this. Like, uh, Yeah, this is by far my favorite you know, Shyamalan film, and pro- I would say go so far as to say it's maybe my favorite film of all time. It's just one I keep going back to. Wow! I don't know, this one just connects with me. That's awesome, man. It's definitely in my top 100 or so, and it's one that I will definitely revisit from time to time. Yeah, especially I've watched it twice in the last six months. So yeah. I've I, I, I really do. I really do love the film. It's, it's a five star film for me all all the way. So you said you've seen you've seen the the in that Shyamalan trilogy, right? The Unbreakable right. and <laughs> Glass yeah. and Split. Uh, what did what did oh. you think of Glass? Oh, you know what? I have not. I'm sorry. I I didn't see that. Tri- I've only seen Unbreakable. I still haven't watched Split or Glass. <laughs> oh or man. Sorry. I like. I actually like Split more than Unbreakable, and I know that's a very unpopular opinion, but I just I do. I I, I like it a lot. And I like the whole trilogy as a whole, though. I know we're not even talking about signs anymore, but Shyamalan has some good stuff, though. He does. That is one of those that's been on my list for a while, but because my kids are have been young, and my wife doesn't really like. <laughs> horror or or really scary stuff it, my my time for viewing that kind of thing is uh limited yeah oh i get it man well i think we wrapped it up um oh yeah something i wrote down <laughs> it's just little things like this it just it makes me appreciate him as, as a filmmaker you know the film is so 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 serious but there are little bitty pockets of levity that just that, that make it more interesting whenever he tells whenever no gibson tells um morgan to use a different tape the tape that he grabs he says uncle merrill i'm using your tape and yeah. he pops it in and says the tape says swimsuit special yeah. <laughs> it's just great oh man and and that's 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 something that i really appreciate because i me personally i don't like to be serious all the time I like yeah. to laugh. I like to cut up. So to have little pockets of levity in a, in a film like this, I, I like yeah. that a lot. It, it makes it, you need that level, levity in this film. It gets, it gets pretty heavy. You know, even though there's not really any people that die on screen that I, that I recall, two dogs. Uh, yeah. Why does Shyamalan yeah. hate dogs? I don't know, man. And you know, like, I have a problem watching dogs die in movies. Like, I can watch people die, but I have a hard time watching dogs die. But I've determined that the reason for that is I've actually had dogs that have died. You know, like yeah. I've actually 
So I, I, I understand that. I can empathize with that. I can't empathize with a child dying or a parent dying. I haven't had either one of those happen to me, you know, or a spouse. But I've, I've had a dog die. <laughs> so yeah. that's going, so that's going to make me cry <laughs> like every single time. Yeah, I was actually wondering how Morgan functioned through the movie because he he kept the dog from attacking his sister at the beginning. He had to kill the dog, and I was like, that kid would be if that were one of mine, they would be traumatized. I would be traumatized. Oh, is that to kill my dog <laughs> to save my sister? Jeez, that's a good question. That's a <laughs> something. <laughs> Maybe Morgan is the is the hero in this film, <laughs> just by holding everything together. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if I recall, the the wife, one of the things she said was, you know, uh, tell the daughter, I think that your brother's going to take care of you. you know, so everything she said kind of ended up to be <laughs> being true. Yeah, and what's cool about this is everybody plays some sort of part here. The the sister is the one that leaves all the water laying everywhere. Yeah. And the son basically saves the sister. He holds holds it together. Uh, he's the one who's helping them study up on this alien stuff and making them believe it. And then, you know, you've got uh, Graham, who's the one who just recalls the what he his wife told to him and everything that he needed to see to, to make this happen. And of course, Meryl steps in with the baseball bat <laughs> and, 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 and with prayer too. I mean, like he was the one who was praying. So yeah, everybody plays a role. That's another, uh, another little nugget there is not any one person is more important than the other. They, they couldn't have done this without all five of them, including the mother. So yeah, man, what a film. Well, why don't you tell the listeners how they can hit you up on the socials? Well, I don't tweet a lot, but uh, I, I my Twitter account is Sundelos uh, underscore J. It's spelled S-U-N-D-O-U-L-O-S underscore J. It's Sundelos. It's a Greek word for bond servant. It's a reference to scripture. Paul's saying he's you know being a fellow bond servant. I picked that up from somewhere and just kind of kept it. And so I always use it like uh, on social media, wherever I'm at. Um, does it make me a total nerd that I knew what that meant? No. <laughs> Not at all. I actually met Jeremy on um, Feeling Film Facebook group. So there's a shout out for you, Aaron, because I know you listen to all these episodes. <laughs> and what's funny is, is, is Jeremy actually lives like 30 minutes from me. So it's just kind of funny that I met him on the Facebook group. So. Yeah. Yeah, sometime we need to go catch a movie. Absolutely. And then we can, you know, record our first take right after. And yeah, that'd po- be cool. and, and, and post it. Yeah, we'll do that sometime. But man, I appreciate you coming on. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, we will definitely do it again sometime. But until next time, men, remember, all of you out there, you've got to man up. <laughs>